Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Um, well, today we are continuing our, um, our series on uh, classics. It's our classic series. And and in the classic series, we're basically going back and we're looking at classic stories from the, from the New Testament, Old Testament stories. And we're just really trying to find, all right, what are the, the truths that run through them all? And what we can kind of find is that, that the thread that runs through them all is that they tend to always end with God's grace showing up and some type of miraculous, extraordinary thing happening. And... Today's message is no different. Today our message is about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the title of this message today is When the Son of God Shows Up. Now, who here attended, who here, where are my public school people at? Who here attended public school? Anybody else? Any public school people? Now, I had a... um, I had an issue, a little bit of an issue, when I went, went, you know, it used to be it was K through 6th grade, and then it was 7th, 8th, and ninth was junior high school, and I remember going into junior high school and thinking, oh my God, this is nothing remotely like what elementary school was like, all right? So I remember in elementary school, I had, you know, you had your group of friends in your, in your little neighborhood, and you would drive by their house on the way to school every day, you know? It wasn't a big deal, you know? And your teachers were pretty nice, and, and your lunch was great. They baked fresh bread in my elementary school. Hamburger day was awesome. I loved P.E. because you'd go and you'd play kickball and, and uh, soccer, and you'd get to throw dodgeballs at each other, and you'd do the little parachute thing. You guys remember that? And, um, and it was just fun, and, and I enjoyed it. I was the fastest, one of the fastest kids in my school. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm a big shot, you know? I got to go to the little Olympics. I mean, it was awesome. So um, anyway, I go to the seventh grade, and I'm thinking, this can't be that different, right? And I step foot on the seventh grade campus, and the only thing that I can relate my experience in seventh grade to is what I've seen in movies about prison. (laughs) I'm not even kidding. It is a horrible experience. At least for me, it was a horrible experience. You see, in, in seventh grade, there's all these sects, you know, that these different groups that, that get together and they kind of gang up and they, they go to their different people groups and they all kind of don't like each other. There are actually gangs. There were actual gangs in my school. They would actually collect weapons from some of these kids in school. You know, they're making shivs and stuff in junior high school. I don't know what is going on, and they're, they're getting expelled from school. I remember going to the office one time, and uh, you don't want to go to the office in junior high school because they take you into this torture room where they're going to beat you because this was back in the early 80s where they still beat kids in school. I'm not sure if they do that still today, but they did back then. And on the wall would be hanging these paddles. There was a straight paddle. There was a curved paddle. There was a paddle. I'm not even kidding about this. That had holes drilled in it, you know, for, you know, so that the wind resistance was better. And then there was one 
that I don't even know if it was used ever or if it was just to scare you to death, but it had holes drilled in it and had a piece of leather on the back so that it would like force the air through. This was my experience in junior high school. And in order to stay out of that room, you couldn't be late for class more than a couple of times or else they'll send you to the office and you'll be taken into the medieval torture room. And so to do that, you'd have to go to your locker and open your locker. The lockers never opened. You guys remember this. So in order to get the class on time, you carried a backpack that was 80 pounds of books and you'd run from class to class to class to class trying to get there on time, all the while avoiding the gauntlet that was the 8th and ninth graders who are trying to kill you. Welcome to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Only much, much, much worse. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego lived in the nation of Judah. They lived in Jerusalem. And, and in Jerusalem, things were going great. They had their, their stuff all figured out. They were working well. They were worshiping well. They were living well. They'd seen their people through all kinds of trials come through. And here comes King Nebuchadnezzar and the nation of Babylon, and they just went from city to city to city to city, and they just wiped everyone out. And they got to Judah, and they did the same thing. And they left Judah in rubble, and they took about 10,000 of the people out of Judah and brought them as slaves into exile into the kingdom of Babylon. Now, I know that my uh, illustration about junior high school was probably a little over the top comparing it to this, but they, they were taken from something that they knew and loved, something that, that, that wasn't um, a thing for them. Like their lives were pretty carefree and put into something where the world was completely turned upside down. And, and as if that wasn't enough, the king takes their names. I don't know if you guys know this, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not actually their real names. That's how we know this story. Their real names are actually Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, their names have a completely different meaning, especially to the Jewish people. Hananiah means God is gracious. Um, Mishael means God is with us and Azariah means God is our helper and so they came over their very identity was God is gracious God is with us God is our helper and King Nebuchadnezzar is like yeah that's not going to do boys All right, so we're going to pull you out we're going to destroy your nation and now we're going to steal your very identity now your names are Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego now your name means uh, inspired by a coup. That's a false god in Babylon. Mishael means belonging to a coup, the same false god. And Abednego means servant of Nago. So King Nebuchadnezzar is like, hey, we're just going to nip this in the bud right here. Your old life is gone. We own you. You serve me and my gods now. And then this. Daniel 3.1 and 3.4-6 through 6 says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. He set it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. 
As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, all those instruments, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have a decision to make. Are they going to believe that the God that they've served, are they going to believe that the life that they led, are they going to believe that the character, the very character of who they are, is still who they are? Or are they going to take the path of, of least resistance and say, you know what, this is a tough time. Maybe we'll just, maybe we just go with it and see what happens. And they have this decision to make. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says, Not only so, but we also glory in sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. John 16, 33 says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You may be walking through life and things are going pretty well. And then all of a sudden, out of the sky, drops some 90-foot tall trial, trouble, circumstance, accusation. And all of a sudden, the world that you once knew is flipped on its head and it's turned upside down. And like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, we have a decision to make. Is God who he says he is? Is, is everything that we've ever known really true? Are we going to choose to believe that in any circumstance that the things that lie in front of us are better than the things that are already behind us? I believe we should do that today because here, here's what happens. Here's what happens in trials. This is our first point. Trials are an opportunity to believe that God will take a trying circumstance and do something extraordinary. Our story continues, Daniel 3.8 and 3.12. It says, at this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. How many of you know when you take a stand for Jesus, you're going to have some haters? But there are some Jews who you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, Your Majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. The king was furious. He sent for them and said, hey, bring them to me. Bring them here. They brought Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego before him, and they're like, all right, I'm just going to pretend, you know what? We're just going to pretend this is an oversight, all right? We're just going to pretend you didn't hear the original decree. We're just going to pretend, hey, you're in a new region. You've got sand in your ears. Maybe you just missed it. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to strike up the band, and you're going to bow down to this idol right here in front of me, or you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Now, what happens next is my absolute favorite answer to an accusation, to a trial, to, to somebody saying, hey, we're about to kill you, that is in the Bible today. I love this response that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have. This is the kind of man of God I want to be. This is the kind of person of faith I want to be. Daniel 3.16 says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you. Don't you want to have that kind of audacity? 
Don't you want to have that kind of faith where somebody's saying, hey, we're fixing to kill you, and you're like, oh, yeah, I don't really care. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to give you the 90s diss. Hey, talk to the hand because the face ain't listening. I don't even need to answer you. Don't you want to have that kind of faith? And then they go, here's why. In, in 3.17 it says, because if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king. What? If not. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we don't serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. I want to be that kind of man of faith. I want, to, I want to know God's word and God's will in my life and God's power in my life so that I can say, you know what? I'm going to speak like God speaks. You know what? I'm going to say what God says. Proverbs 18, 20 through 21 says, Words satisfy the mind as much as fruit does the stomach. Good talk is as gratifying as a good harvest. Words kill. Words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. We've got to begin to line the, our mouths up with what the Word of God says in our life. We've got to begin to say what God says about situations, not what other people say about situations, what God says about situations. I love that song that we sing, Who You Say I Am. It says, I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. You see, sometimes we get all caught up with our friends or our families and all these things, and, and they're saying all this stuff, and we're like, well, that's what they say. Sometimes it's even ourselves saying it. It's like, well, this is what it is. That's just what it is. That must be what I am. I am stupid. I am poor. I am fat. Whatever it is. Daniel just said what? Okay. <laughs> But we've got to begin to say, okay, that's not what God says we are. You see, if, if the person that's saying it didn't create you, how can the person that's saying it define you? Amen. Do you understand? You see, I love that these three men, I think these three men got together. I think they got together in a little huddle, and they're like, hey, boys, what are we going to do? Like, I don't know. We probably should, let's just take the Let's take the easy way out, right? And then they start thinking. They start going back, and they start thinking about all the classic stories. Just like we've been talking about here. Hey, remember when they brought uh, Moses through the desert? Hey, you remember when, when David uh, conquered Goliath? Hey, remember when God promised Abraham that our nation was going to be born from him, and he couldn't even have kids? Remember that? And then they start thinking, oh, yeah, you know what? Our very names. Our very names are saying, hey, God is gracious. God is with us. God is our helper. Hey, wait a minute. I don't understand. Something's starting to build up in me. I'm starting to feel pretty faithful. I'm starting to feel like maybe I should start speaking like God says I am. And they say, you know what, King? Mm -mm. This ain't going to happen because you can take our names, you can take our identity, but you cannot take the promises of God from our lives. And they say, our God is still gracious. Our God is still with us. Our God is still our helper. And they're like, nope, we ain't going to do it. We're not going to bow. 
The words of faith we speak are the pathways to the promises of God. This king's got some anger management issues. He's furious again. He's enraged. He says, all right, you guys chose. Here we go. Get the furnace. Crank it up seven times hotter than it's ever been. I want you to bind their, their feet to their hands and their hands to their shoulders and their shoulders to their heads. They were bound execution style. He said, I want you to bind them where they can't break free. I want you to march them up, up that hill to the furnace, and I want you to throw them in. And the executioners did just as he said. They marched them up. They, they grabbed them. They were bound, and they were walking towards the mouth of the furnace. And as they threw them in at the mouth of the furnace, even the executioners perished because the fire was so intense because the flame was so hot and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were falling to their certain death. But Daniel 3, 24 through 28 says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, he's like, hey, counselors, did we not Throw three men into the fire. They're like, yeah, we threw three men in the fire. They're like, were the three men not bound? We threw three men bound into the fire. They're like, yeah. He's like, let me get this straight. I just want to make sure that I'm not imagining things. I told you to throw three men. We bound them. We threw them in the fire. They're like, yeah, that's right. True, O king. That's very true. He's like, can somebody explain to me then? Can you explain to me why I don't see three men in the fire? I see four men in the fire. And four men in the fire are walking around, chilling, unbound, like ain't nothing going on. And oh yeah, the fourth one in the fire, the fourth guy there, the one we didn't put there, he looks like the Son of God. The Son of God is not even here yet. This is 605 B.C., he is 605 years away from being born. How is a heathen king, Nebuchadnezzar, seeing the Son of God delivering three men from the fire? I'll tell you how. I think God is showing King Nebuchadnezzar, this king, look, king, I'm showing you something here. I want you to see something. You ain't in control here. I'm in control. And I'm not just delivering three men from the fire. I'm showing you a vision of the future. I'm showing you a vision of my son. I'm sending my son in the future. And he's not going to deliver three men. He's going to deliver all men. When the son of God shows up, there is no fire that can harm you. When the son of God shows up, there is no mountain too big that you cannot say, mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. When the Son of God shows up, there's no valley that you're walking through that is too wide or too dark that you cannot walk through it without fear. When the Son of God shows up, there's no accusation strong enough that you cannot say, I don't even need to answer you. My God will deliver me. When the Son of God shows up, the impossible becomes possible. Matthew 19, 26 says, And looking at them, Jesus said, With people this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. 
Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Mark 9.23 says, Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. I've got some great news today. We don't live in 605 B.C. We live in the glorious 2019 A.D. The Son of God has done, showed up. Jesus Christ came on the scene. He came here just for you. And he went to the cross and he conquered death, hell, and the grave. That barrier that once existed between God and man that kept us from direct access to God. We used to have to go through all of these rituals and all of these rules and regulations just in order to get to, the, to God and to have access to him and to have access to his promises. And now Jesus came and took that all away. And we have access to every promise God has ever made to Jew and Gentile alike. It is the same promise that I guarantee you Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were standing on. The promises are in, you can find them in Deuteronomy 28. They go something like this. You are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath. You are the victor, no longer the victim. Your enemy's going to come at you one way. He's going to flee from you seven ways. You'll be blessed in your home. You'll be blessed at your school. You'll be blessed on the farm. You'll be blessed on the oil field. Wherever you go, if you believe, guess what? Jesus is already with you. Everywhere you go, Jesus shows up. And the Bible tells us that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Everywhere you go, God is showing up. When you, any, you walk to a restaurant, that place should just start being blessed. People should just start showing up all over the place. You walk into a hospital, we should, just be, we should just be rolling through hospitals, clearing them out. It's the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. He's in us. He says, everything you touch will prosper, and you will live a life of joy in Jesus' name. Aren't you glad that the Son of God showed up? A bottom line is this. Jesus is with us, and now all things are possible. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.